Hey there, beautiful people. Welcome to Fanti, the podcast for all those complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I have never seen a copaganda show unless we start talking about this conversation we're going to get into later, and I'm a little bit embarrassed. Jared Hill. Okay. I'm Trayvell Anderson. That was a lot of face. That was a lot of face. I mean, that was a lot of intro. I th- this conversation we're gonna have a little bit later. I'm 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 triggered because I feel like I've been contributing in a way that I didn't realize. Well, we are not having it later. We're having it now. What? Hey, y'all. We are doing uh, <laughs> we're doing something special on the show. As you can tell by the headline, uh, that's the show topic. We're doing a part two to our propaganda discussion. Okay, and we've got a extended conversation with a returning champion as jared likes to say <laughs> to fanti now Deshaun harrison is their name i give a whole intro very shortly but you know for those who are just watching us on the youtubes right now or maybe you came to the show in the last couple months or whatever we had a, a number of previous episodes i think two previous episodes in which Deshaun um has joined us one about gender i believe it was called gender is a scam Deshaun guest hosted that episode with me and there was a second one that I can't remember right now but anyway say all that to say we are going to throw to our conversation with Deshaun in which we get into an extended conversation about propaganda and especially its connection to the ongoing you know stop cop city movement that's happening right now y'all go ahead and tune in let's take a break and when we come back I got some more stuff to say here They can be anywhere, at your office, in your car, and they are wrong. My mom says that the gray house didn't exist, but she's wrong. He just does it wrong. Someone in your life is wrong about something. Something small, something weird, something vitally important. Only one person has the courage to tell them just how wrong they are. You know what you did was wrong, but your daughter is a liar who eats garbage. (laughs) (laughs) They call me Judge John Hodgman. Listen to me on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. If someone in your life is doing you wrong, don't just take it. Take it to court. Submit your case at MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. Hey there, beautiful people. So back in March, as you all know, we did our long-awaited, hotly anticipated propaganda episode. It was titled, Can Copaganda Ever Be Good? And featured special guests Tia Oso and Dr. Jared Loggins. As many of you know, I felt intellectually dragged for my admittedly complex feelings for and enjoyment of propaganda. Um, it extended on an intellectual dragging that our special guest um, also participated in months earlier, but we'll get to that shortly. No edges left. Um, as a reminder... Like... <laughs> As a reminder, when we say propaganda, we mean shows like Law and Order, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, that are supposed to make us like cops and feel like they're necessary and important in society. It's exactly like the term sounds like, right? Propaganda for, you know, 12, as the streets might say. Now, we got a... <laughs> this is why we don't take you out in public. Because me and Deshaun just heard you say that and we're like, no, wait a minute. That's what the streets say. <laughs> I... 
really, really, it's the oh, okay for me that really just made that all shade and I live for it. Y'all better leave me alone. Anyway. We got a number of emails from many of our listeners and viewers about that episode with some extra questions about other forms of media that may or may not be copaganda, perhaps they're copaganda-ish, if you will, which got us thinking about the need for a potential follow-up conversation, okay? And then... On the other podcast that I host called What A Day, check us out if you have not already, um, we've been doing... One of the other podcasts that you host, to be clear. Well, I do have a few of them, but nonetheless, yes. um, on What A Day, we've been doing some coverage of Cop City, the estimated $90 million training facility that is apparently going to be built in the outskirts of Atlanta that organizers and community members have been protesting for the last couple years now. Um, there is a lot of food and violence wrapped up in the Cop City story that we will get to shortly. But I bring it up in this conversation about Copaganda because the two feel related to me, particularly around the idea of how what we have been taught to believe about cops via the images on our screens could very well be connected to the thoughts and feelings around a perceived need for a facility of this type. Um, the blatant disregard to you know, the, the blatant disregard local officials um, have had for the community outrage that we've seen as it relates to this story. And so to join us in further teasing out all of this, okay, you know them and you love them. They are the author of Belly of the Beast, The Politics of Anti-Fatness as Anti-Blackness, okay, former, you know, former guest host of this very show, Okay, they have been deeply involved with the Stop Cop City movement as well. They're also the editor-at-large at Scalawag Magazine. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, it is through a Twitter spaces that I did with them and Co. Bragg at Scalawag last year about Copaganda that laid the foundation for the conversations we've had on the show already. Please welcome back to Fanti, Deshaun L. Harrison. Welcome. Period. Heavy on the L. <laughs> Heavy on it. And thank you. I'm glad to be back. You know, you you did say you you know them and you love them. You might know me and not love me, and that's okay too. Period. Or they may know you and not love you. Right. Exactly. Because here I am. Because <laughs> irrespective of where you fall in that spectrum, here we are. <laughs> big, big purr. Big purr. I'm here, like Fantasia said. Okay, so to get us started, I want to ask you the question that we started our last um, copaganda discussion with, which is, in what ways has like copaganda like manifested in your life? What is your relationship to it? Are you a Law and Order girly too? You know, or nah? One thing I'm never gonna lie about is my love for some of the cop shows. It's no tea, no shade, but. 911 with Miss Angela Bassett, like she eats down 727 mm -hmm. on 30. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what? We ain't 10 seconds into you being on. That's my girl. Like, this, like, look, you know, we all exist in a very, in a, in a state of contradiction. And yeah, like, I grew up watching um, Criminal Minds with my mom and CSI Miami. And lived for those shows and you know i will sit in front of the tv and watch a good 
House of Cards or Madam Secretary or, you know, any of the political dramas on TV right now. And it's not it's not good. Right. It's like they really are trying to teach you to be invested in police in the state. And at the same time, it is good. The drama is just it's just great. So the writers be writing, you know, and we support them right now on strike. <laughs> Listen, the writers be writing. OK, this is the perfect time to, to not watch these shows. That part. <laughs> we are. That part. Can I can I ask a follow up there though? Because you mentioned House of Cards and Madam Secretary. Do we consider them to fall under propaganda? Absolutely. So yeah, I think about shows like that, like political dramas writ large, as propaganda, particularly because of the connection between the the state and the police. Right, the police exist as a way to mm. protect the state and its and its interests. And so I think a lot about like Kamala Harris, who is on record for calling herself the top cop of California at one point. I guess now the top cop of the world as a U.S. imperialist. And so, yeah, I don't I don't see a way to separate the two from one another. And so they definitely are propaganda in perhaps a more meta way. And the shows are good. Like, the political drama of it all. Okay, so now I'm disturbed because <laughs> in the part one episode, we talked about about propaganda, and I was like, I don't really have mm-hmm. like propaganda shows that I love. But as soon as you said political dramas, I was like, not not the scandal, honey, not not the scandalo, not the the well. the 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 how to get away with murders, not the House of Cards was really good too. And I'm like, but as you say that, I think like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up. And I'm going to let you finish, um, Deshaun. I'm glad you brought this up because we one of the letters that we got, um, we read it out on the show a number of weeks mm-hmm. ago. I believe this it was from um, Abonay is her name. And they were talking about, you know, how shows like, we had a separate letter that was talking about how shows like Bones and Criminal mm-hmm. Not Minds fit into this. And Abonay brought up The Mentalist on HBO Max. And I just want to read a bit from her email and she says I've been watching The Mentalist on HBO Max for the past few months it's a cop adjacent show that focuses on a white man who pretty much uses trickery and deceit to help the California Department of Investigation solve murders he is as unscrupulous as they come plants evidence lies to witnesses futzes around with crime scenes etc all the time in the name of quote unquote justice and even worse the actual law enforcement agents that are supposed to keep him in check just go along with the bullshit mm-hmm. Abonay says that they've been covering gun violence for The Guardian for the past four years and understand how hard it is to get a murder conviction and how easily these cases are dismissed or fall apart because of trifling police work. So while watching this show, she finds herself yelling at the TV behind none of this element none of this evidence he finds through trickery and lies will hold up in court. She said, the listener letter that y'all read a few weeks ago made me realize that this show and others like it are all part of the same machine as Law and Order and Blue Bloods in that the people who work to quote unquote stop crime can do what they have to do as long as the bad guy is caught in the end. Yeah. You know what? That actually makes me think about the show Lucifer. One of my favorite shows. I don't know if y'all have ever seen it or not, but Mm. I've seen that man. I met him and I was like, who is that? And they were like, he's on a TV show. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Cut it out. <laughs> yes. But the show, like, I think the show is, it has a really great theological analysis, which is why I love it. But also he literally is like falling in love with this detective and does a lot of things to, to like, 
fuck with crime scenes and and with like the the case itself mm-hmm. as a way to get convictions um to lock people away it is another form of propaganda that i that i think is not the traditional you know csi in mm-hmm. ncis criminal minds but it's still very much aligned with painting any any show that paints the state or or its agents as good as as something to to have empathy for as something to be compassionate towards is propaganda and so yeah you know like when i think about that man i'm thinking about um particularly damn his name escapes me he's in criminal minds he would not appreciate that shamar moore Mm -hmm. who you know Mm -hmm. that's a man that's a man (laughs) but like he is very known for his role in criminal minds but also now he's in Mm -hmm. a show called swat which also is a literally about SWAT and it's painting them in a very particularly positive light, right? As if SWAT teams have not been notoriously like anti-black in nature, literally mm-hmm. murdering black folks, knocking down doors, kicking down doors because of a hunch that they had, right? That that a nigga was selling drugs or something. And mm-hmm. these are the, the type of shows that are being produced as a way to give people a reason to believe in police, to give people a reason to believe in the state. And all of that is propaganda. And it's done so well most times that you don't even really recognize it as propaganda, like Jared was just saying. Like, no one is talking about scandal or how to get away with murder or any of these like political dramas, Madam Secretary, as propaganda. But they are right. Like they, they function as a way to sort of humanize Madam secretary in particular is like a really, really, really guilty, big guilty pleasure for me because it does a job of trying to humanize Hillary Clinton in particular. And if you know about my history with Hillary Mm -hmm. Clinton, you know, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) it does a, a job of trying to humanize her and her role as secretary of state in a really particular way, but she is like one of the biggest cops in the world, one of the biggest cops we've ever seen. And you don't get that from that because all you see is this woman who's married and has the same dramas that we have and has kids who hate her, but who love her and, and, and who has to be a mom and a working person at the same time and a wife at the same time, you know, struggles that so many of us relate to, but not in the form of cop or state stabilizing positions and it gets really hard to to Mm. differentiate between the two when you are watching these shows unless you have the analysis to kind of hold on to while you're watching it so this kind of brings me to another question because number one i feel like cbs half of their primetime lineup is copaganda right and like i went to look at their lineup right now if you just look at what's playing in the next week Mm -hmm. csi vegas swat Blue Bloods, you all said, is a propaganda show, which I didn't realize because I don't know what it's about. In CIS Los Angeles, 48 Hours mm-hmm. kind of falls into that as well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. NCIS Los Angeles, um, the regular NCIS, FBI, FBI International, FBI Most Wanted, Chow. Uh, <laughs> CSI Vegas. Like, it's one after another, after another, after another. It's a formula, and it works for them. But for... Uh, for those of you who really traffic in the propaganda, obviously I can't relate. Um, I <laughs> look. I was just here for Olivia and Fitz. Okay, I just wanted to see their love story. I'm not here for the policing, but I will say that that I'm curious how you how you both like with the knowledge of like of the impact that these things that these shows have. How are you thinking about the way that these shows are making you see? 
the state and the police and the government and the ways that that we talk about in these conversations? How are you kind of tempering your minds around that? Well, I think for me, like I am, I've watched these shows and I'm always thinking about how are they portraying this police officer or how are they going over this particular case and how does it look different from police that I've interacted with in real life who have antagonized me or cases that I've witnessed in real life around different things that could be fitting the criteria of what's on, on screen. I think unintentionally I have, it has become like a research project for me of like Mm -hmm. compare and contrast how the portrayal is on screen versus what you've witnessed in real time in real life around these particular cases or involving the state and its agents. And I think that that's how I'm able to watch it (laughs) without feeling too guilty about it. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. I am I'm cognizant of what's being portrayed here and I'm really curious to know how producers, directors, writers are what type of language they're using to be able to invite people into the story in and of itself and how are they keeping people? What what is the narrative that they're having to push here to make sure that people want to continue to watch the show that make it feel so personal and personable um in a way that if it weren't, would not keep people watching, right? I think Mm -hmm. about that a lot when I watch Marvel and DC shows as well because superhero Mm. films and TV shows are also copaganda. Um, And so... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Hold. Hold on. Now, talk about it. Talk about it. Hold on. Wait, because as you started to say that, I was like... Oh my God, there's always like interactions with the state when it comes. I'm thinking about Batman and the police. I'm thinking about Superman and the police. I'm thinking about, ooh, this is, this is, yes. Oh, we got a whole Captain America. Like, <laughs> they literally created a whole, a whole monster mm-hmm. as a way to fight crime <laughs> and put people away, right? Like, we watch these superheroes destroy entire cities in the name of crime and justice. And I don't think it gets more police than that, mm. right? We know that police destroy entire communities in the name of crime, crime fighting and justice. You know, I, I am, you know, Marvel is cute and I know the girls hate on DC, but I'm a DC girly and I like their TV shows in particular, the ones that used to come on um, the channel that I'm forgetting right now before they got a new owner, but the Arrowverse with, um, Arrow and Supergirl and the CW, mm. CW, yes, the CW, and they love, they love the superhero girlies. But Arrow and the Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and Supergirl, all of them, like literally, I, I sat and watched that for all of them for a while because I was really intrigued by how invested they were in being police. Right, these were they're vigilantes who don't actually have to go through proper channels to arrest folks or take criminals down, and yet they all work with police. In fact, Supergirl, they literally create their entire or their own agency just to be able to lock people away, an agency that that particularly interacts with mm-hmm. metas. So the reason why I think that all of this is important is because I think that it's important to be clear about exactly how much propaganda is embedded into really so much more than we think about how we're entertained or or what entertains us and how for me when I watch these things that's how I'm able to think about it is like how true 
to reality is this and how far away from reality does it get and what is it that they're writing how is it that they're acting that gets to keep people engaged without actually thinking about what's being portrayed to them on the screen Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i love that trevel how are you thinking about because I know The Equalizer is another one of the shows on CBS, and I know that that's, that's your girl. Listen, die. So, like, how are you? And, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed what I did watch of the first few episodes. I just wasn't committed enough. But, like, how are you? Because I know that this is something that every time you're watching Queen Latifah mm-hmm. kick somebody's ass, that you're like, mm-hmm. oh, but I'm feeding into this. Like, how are you processing it? A few things come to mind in that regard. I have to, everybody knows that I love the Equalizer. I love Dana Owens. And listen, I know it's a problem. I'm trying to work it out. But I think what, what Deshaun just articulated about like the, particularly the slice of the, the difference of like what's happening on screen versus what is happening on the streets, right? What's happened in, in my life and experience because I know the difference to be true, mm-hmm. right? And I know those to be be vastly different experiences. I feel like I am, you know, not necessarily internalizing the, the lessons, quote unquote, that we are perhaps supposed to be internalizing when we watch some of these shows, right? And But I've also, that's also the kind of like, you know, work that I've been doing since I was in school, right? Shout out to, you know, the sociology majors, right? We here. And so that's how I kind of have been, like continued navigating it. But as Deshaun was speaking, a few other like points popped in my head that I want to bring up and I took notes on it look at me um which is first and foremost when we're talking about like that the the real life experiences that we have in relation to that which we see on screen I think about all of the shows that have pulled from real life headlines for plot points right what most immediately came to mind was how uh, I believe was it Law and Order SVU had an episode that was inspired by the Paula Dean situation and they had another episode if I'm not mistaken that was inspired by Trayvon Martin's killing like you know they, they're taking real life experiences that we have seen and they're dramatizing it in these different ways and it fits so well right into these already established narratives because in my estimation and, and and thoughts because of kind of the innocuous internalized nature of some of the thoughts that we that we all have on the superhero part it gets me thinking of a lot of Brooke Obie's criticism of, in particular, Black Panther, but a, a number of the, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe entities. Um, you know, Br- Brooke has been on the show before. The pen is fierce, okay? And so she's talked about the ways in which those types of narratives, right, end up showing us just a different way to, like, think about the need for police and the need for policing, um, whether or not you have, you know, the badge. And that thought connects me to, I can't remember if it was somebody who said it on, on, on our podcast or not. Um, maybe it was Jared Lucas, but talked about the need for people to like check the Karen in their head, which I would edit and also say, mm. check the police in your head, your internalized police in your head, Right. Because, right, policing is something that has now, it's not just police 
and like uh, quote unquote certified agents of the state that are carrying out all of these things. It's also us feeling the need that we need to call somebody on the homie who's smoking up in his car or the person who's playing music quote unquote too loud, right? It's all connected, which then leads me to Cop City, Deshaun, okay? One, for the folks who might be listening who aren't familiar with the shit show that is Cop City, if you could explain a little bit about that. And then also, I would love to hear you talk about how you think, you know, this conversation around copaganda and the ways that we as ourselves as individuals can sometimes be agents of the state based on what we have learned from these images, kind of how that intersects with the, the stop Cop City, you know, discussion and movement. Yeah. So for folks who don't know, um, Cop City is what some folks are calling urban war facility. Some folks are calling a militarized people murdering training facility. Um, there's a lot of names for Cop City. Mm-hmm. But what what the state is, is calling it is a training facility for police and, and firemen or first responders, wherein they would be building a small city that had apartment complexes, parks, you know, things that make up a city typically, where police would be able to train, right? So there would be a gun range here where you would be hearing police firing off shots mm-hmm. every into the night, right? Like this is this would be a, a common practice in the the training facility. And they're trying to build it in the Weilani Forest. Um, the, the the number around how many acres has has changed so much from the state that folks aren't really super clear about that. But the Weilani Forest has over 350 acres. Initially, the proposal was for the training facility to take up 85 of those acres. That has expanded, I think, to however many. But really what we know is that it would be taken up the entire forest. That's, that's what we know to be true. Mm-hmm. And it would give police an opportunity to learn how to kill people effectively. That is quite literally what Cop City would be for. The state initially proposed that the Atlanta Police Foundation, or APF, which um, is constructed of major corporations in the city of Atlanta. So Mm -hmm. thinking about Delta, about Coke, about Home Depot, Waffle House, um, and many, many, many other corporations make up the APF. They would cover majority of the the money for for the funding for that. Mm-hmm. I think sixty million initially, and what was offered was that the city the city itself would pay thirty million dollars towards that. We've since found out that that was not true. It's been argued for so long that the city would just be signing a thirty year contract wherein they would pay a million dollars a year to towards the funding of the facility. That has been doubled mm-hmm. to the point where I think it's around eighty, a hundred and eighty million dollars now that would be needed to fund this project. And recently, on June fifth slash June sixth, actually, mm-hmm. the city of Atlanta, our council members voted to fund this project, despite the fact that for several city council meetings, they heard over fifteen hours of public commentary on why folks were overwhelmingly against Cop City, so much so that the city had to pay people to come speak on behalf of Cop City because so many Atlanta residents came out in opposition Mm -hmm. to the facility. So 
that's Cop City. Cop City is going to be a, a, a major issue should it be built because it disrupts an entire ecological system here in the city, right? What the Weilani Forest is referred to as one of the four lungs of Atlanta because of how much forest area mm-hmm. there is there. It has been an abandoned forest for so long. It's become a dump in so many ways um, because it exists in the middle of one of the blackest parts of the outskirts of Atlanta or the metro or of metro Atlanta. And because of the fact that it's being built in DeKalb County, but is being funded by the city of Atlanta, the DeKalb County residents don't have a say in whether or not it can be funded or in whether or not it should be built Mm -hmm. because they don't have any representation on the Atlanta City Council board. So that's the whole thing in and of itself. Go ahead, Jared. Well, I, I, as I hear you talking about that, it makes me think about one, the ways that really like the crux of this conversation about copaganda and the ways that like it makes the copaganda, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of endears us to the police, if you will, and the state in general, and how that can often be in opposition to the desires of the people. Yes. Right. And like, I think about uh, our conversations around, around row falling with abortion, the ways that we see myriad issues, right, where the people have been very clear, whether it is in polling, which is unreliable, but also in voting, if it is in the ways that they come up and show up in state houses or in city council meetings or whatever it is, and like come and speak up and say, this is something we do not want, right? Or this is something we do not believe in, or even worse, this is something that we see as harmful, right? Right. And like the state still continues to press forward with it. Um, it, it's, it frustrates those parts of my mind. So, Travel, I saw you wanted to say. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I think that there is in our last episode, Jared, you mentioned how many of these shows make us believe that cops are jumping over cars and dodging bullets and like that they that they that they're so that it's 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 I don't want to. I don't want to say it's not a quote unquote hard job, but the ways in which the hardness of the job are depicted to us on screen do not match the reality for the bulk of folks who are police. And so I can see somebody being like, because of what they've seen on TV, being like, yeah, the the cops and the first responders do need to, they need a training facility. They do need a a mini city to to learn how to, to, you know, police people. But like when you realize that all of that drama on screen is not, Mm -hmm. you know, the reality of, of what these folks are going through, I at least think that it might, you know, lead people to be like, oh, Cop City actually is, is in, in addition to it not being necessary, its creation and the fact that they want to create it is, you know, even an even greater problem in light of that realization. But go ahead, Deshaun. No, I mean, I think that both of what you just said really matters because, you know, a lot of the opposition to the Stop Cop City movement has been, well, you all say that you want police to be trained. What's the problem with building a training facility? Right. And these shows, these these movies, these films, they teach us in so many ways that if police have proper training, that they can do some sort of good. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. That like if police, you know, I I think about 911, Angela Bassett, her character has on her her police or her body cam every second of every part of this of the show that she's on while she's in uniform. Mm -hmm. She has on her body cam. And 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 we believe that, you know, if we can sort of show these these 
reforms and and depict them in a way that proves that policing can be good then people invest in that so a lot of the a lot of the response to the stop cop city movement has been well you know you all want for police to be trained what what's wrong with police being what's wrong with building this facility to train police right but 180 million dollars is a lot of money and that money can go towards so many things that can do social good for Black folks in the city, right? In a city that's being rapidly gentrified, in a city where our homeless population is rapidly growing because of this gentrification, mm-hmm. in a city wherein major corporations get to determine and overdetermine how people are engaged or not engaged or disengaged, right? Mm-hmm. Th- that type of money can go towards so many important things that can make life better for so many people in the city and yet it's going towards building a park and building a gun range and tearing down a forest right in the middle of a black ass community where we where we know that police are already hyper policing and hyper surveilling our residents right atlanta is the most surveilled city in the states and in the top 10 of the most surveilled cities in the world right there there are cameras Mm. everywhere here there (laughs) I mean, Big Brother got Big Sister and, and Big Mama and, and, and Big Daddy, too. They are surveilling every single part of what we do in the city to the point where they don't actually need this facility, right? This is this is another intimidation tactic to to show that they have the, the capacity to respond to uprisings should they ever happen like they did in 2020. Mm. That's what this is about. This is about creating a space for police and for Atlanta and for Brian Kemp, who, you know, is a a major Trump supporter and is also the governor who stole the election from somebody's good sis, Stacey Abrams. Not my good sis, but somebody's good sis. (laughs) Wow. Palmyra, that's the clip. Can we just pull that right on out and put that into social media? Thank you so much. Somebody's good sis, but period. Somebody's good sis, not mine. You know, I mean, she is my Spelman sister, but that's about as far as that goes. Right. But but who, you know, it's it's a show of force. It is an attempt at proving that this city can respond to residents rising up against the violence of police should that ever happen again. And people don't don't see it that way if you are not already invested in in abolitionist politic or around people who are against police in some way right even if you are only going as far as to say defund police right and give some of their money to other places in the city right even mm-hmm. if that's as far as you go the opposition is from people who haven't even made it there and it's because i think in so many ways because of the ways that we're taught to believe that police are supposed to be on our side. We've seen for the last decade, at least, the ways that there have been efforts from police departments around the country to be better and more involved in their communities, right? So now we got clips on TikTok and Instagram of police officers shooting hoop with black boys mm-hmm. in front of their houses, right? Or um, building out programs where they get to play baseball with folks in the fields, right? As a way to say that they're building relationships with their community as if their sole purpose is not to protect the property and displace people who look like those black boys that they're shooting hoop with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and But we invest in those things because that's what we're being taught to invest in. Copaganda doesn't just exist on film and in television, but it also exists on our timelines and our For You pages mm. and our news feeds, right? That teach us every single day that police are invested in community and not in destroying these communities. Mm. 
and that's what we're up against. We're not just up against the council members and 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 the the politicians, but also the people who have invested in these narratives. I've been fighting to get an organ on this show. <laughs> and I just I I really want to say to I really want an organ cuz you you really started preaching at the end and I just wanted to like acknowledge that. Um, and but Travel, you you brought up what I said in the last episode, and I didn't pull up data about it last time. But there's there's research from Pew, which people can feel how they feel about studies and data and all that kind of stuff. But I want to read the beginning of this study from 2016. It says many Americans believe in co- it is common for police officers to fire their guns. About three in ten adults estimate that police fire their weapons a few times a year while on duty. Skipping down, it says in fact only about a quarter, 27 percent of all officers say they have ever fired their service weapon while on the job, according to this Pew Research study. Then it it also gets more interesting about who is firing their gun the most, right? It says, to start, male officers, Mm -hmm. white officers, who's working, those working in larger cities and those who are military veterans are more likely than female officers, racial and ethnic minorities, and those in smaller communities and non-veterans to have ever fired their service weapon while on duty. Each relationship is significant after controlling for other factors and all those other things. But it's like, it's interesting to me because we we talked about this, this way that we see police as they're jumping over cars and beating niggas' asses in the street and shooting at and getting mm-hmm. shot at. And that's just Tuesday, right? And tomorrow you got to go do this shit again, right? And I got to pull a, <laughs> a block on this bitch. And I got to right. shoot through the door and I got to jump through the window and all this shit, right? And it's like right. three and four police officers have never pulled their gun in the duration of their career. And I just think that's such an important piece of information as we look at the ways that we expect mm-hmm. to, the ways we expect police officers needing being trained, the ways that we expect them to show up in our communities, the ways that we uh, we kind of like put them on this pedestal of like always being in grave danger every single day. And they are in danger, right? There is a danger to this job. There is a challenge with this job. But like, it's important to remember that three and four have never used their gun in the entire duration of their career as a police officer. Go ahead, Deshaun, because I know you about to jump in and say something wonderful before I even with despite what I got. Go ahead. Get the organ ready, Palmyra. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say a couple things. One, um, they should be in danger. If you don't want to be in danger, quit your job. But two, I think that what is what feels really important to me is that like this is why Atlanta feels significant because before 2020 we had a white cis lesbian as our police chief in Atlanta very racist very racist but mm-hmm. because she was a lesbian it was like heralded as this like really important thing right like oh wow we are bringing in women and lgbt people into the force and and they're going to save our democracy <laughs> and then she transitioned out after or in the midst of the uprisings and who became interim police chief at the time was a black cishet man and i think that this is really important because atlanta feels particularly unique in that most of the police officers that i see and that i that i have to witness engage with me and others while we're at protests or whatever 
are black. Mm -hmm. They're niggas. They're not, Mm. they're not white police officers and they're being led by black folks. They're being led by a black police chief. They're being led by a majority black city council. They're being led by a black mayor and have been for over 50 years now. Right. And so I think that like, Jared, when you, when you name that, I think that that's very important. And I'm glad that you brought it up because yeah, most, most police officers will never actually pull their gun for as long as they're on duty. And what we witness in real time in Atlanta is that like a lot of those police officers who don't pull their guns also go out of their way to defend the ones who do. Hmm. Right. And the ones who do not only look like the ones that that they're policing, but also the 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 men in arms or the the sisters in arms who stand beside them Mm -hmm. in the very same precincts who get to watch these very same black police officers go into black communities and destroy those communities by way of quote unquote, Mm -hmm. saving our democracy. And so I think that like what becomes important about, about that is that we expand our understanding of violence, which is why I love that you brought in that, that statistic, Jerry It's like, what does it mean to, what does violence mean if 75% of police officers are not pulling out their their guns, right? What is what does violence mean then? And it means that they still have a job to protect property, to protect capital, to protect the people that as Michael Julian Bond calls them, their fiduciaries. And for those who don't know Michael Julian Bond, he is the son of esteemed civil rights activist Julian Bond who sits on Atlanta City's city council and is in favor of Cop City and has been in favor of police for a very long time. He has always voted in favor of police and major corporations in this city uh, for as long as he's been on council. And he let us know on June 5th, while we were all sitting there for 20 hours, 20 hours, y'all, we were at the, the city capitol. He let us know that the police are their fiduciaries. And so... While the council may be put there to serve their constituents, being the citizens or the residents of Atlanta, their actual job is to mm-hmm. bow to, to succumb to police. And that just feels important to me because that is the violence of the state and its agents, its actors, is that most of the people who do harm on behalf of police are not police officers themselves and also will likely never pull a gun on you and have the power to still displace you, to still harm you, to still murder you Mm -hmm. in very Mm -hmm. different ways. I was going to add that that the, the the point you made, Jared, about like the the danger of the job, my immediate thought was how much of that, you know, supposed danger is, you know, of their own making, mm. like of the of the system's own making and and not a a danger of the community's making or 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 whatever, because that is is often how it's presented is that like the community is dangerous and so we need these people to come and you know control and police when the issues that they are allegedly controlling and policing like if if we if we address the real issue perhaps you wouldn't have you know crime like if we were if we were meeting people where they are if if education and social services and like all those other things were what they should be you know these other things that we feel like need to police be policed may not necessarily be be uh as much of a concern as folks make it and then go ahead Jared. well i i think to when deshaun said like they should be in danger if you don't want to be in danger get a different job it's like yeah 
if you want to be on the FBI, you know that you're going to be doing some difficult work, right? If you want to be a firefighter, you know that you're going to probably be running into fires. If you want to be doing like first responding jobs, that means you're going to have to show up at some places where there's need of response, right? Like something has happened. And so mm-hmm. like this idea that like, oh, I'm in fear for my life, which is always the language that we hear, right? It's like, yeah, but that was the job that you signed up for. And like, Yes, we respect it and we appreciate it. We're grateful for like people being able to put their lives on the line and start some of these roles. And then other people, it's like, no, you took this job because you wanted power, right? You took this job because you wanted to be able to shoot at niggas, or you took this job because you didn't because you didn't have enough power when you were back in high school. Sorry, I'm going to my high school reunion in a minute. <laughs> like whatever it is like right like people people take these jobs for reasons because they want to help their communities mm-hmm. or because they wanted power right and we even saw if we think back to i might it might have been in 2016 there was a report from the fbi talking about the ways that white supremacists were infiltrating police departments right because of the because of what mm-hmm. they wanted to do because of the ways that they wanted to show up in those communities and mm-hmm. have i mean there's so much uh i think of just here in la specifically like reporting about the gangs the white supremacist gangs that are within the lapd and the la county sheriff's department right verifiable you know entities uh, but the last thing i wanted to say before we go is also the point that you make dig sean about how propaganda leads people to believe that the you know lived experience of of police is uh is is dangerous and therefore uh it, it makes me think of how folks often immediately go to a place of trying to justify uh, a cop's actions mm-hmm. in any of the situations that we 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 can name because it's like oh well they they must have had a reason <laughs> to shoot him they must have had a reason to you know choke out him right and to me that connects to right what what we've seen on TV right about it and and I like that you make that connection because it's a similar connection that I make when I talk about like the images of trans people that we see on screen mm-hmm. um, in relation to the the very real violence that we're experiencing in our communities, right? You're not showing up to a Black Trans Lives Matter protest because you've all, all you've only seen Black trans people mm-hmm. get killed or be, be you know, um, um, nameless, victimized sex workers on screen. And so when we get killed in real life, it feels like mm-hmm. normal to Ooh. you. It feels expected to mm-hmm. you, right? And so you don't you don't push back against the idea. Um, and I think when it comes to propaganda, that's another thing that we have to think about some of the you know subconscious internalized Mm -hmm. things that we begin to think are how life is supposed to be because of what we've seen on screen when in reality you know it could be and should be very different but anyway thank you Deshaun for joining us thank you for having me this was beautiful (laughs) tell the people where they can find more about you and the stop cop city movement and the other work you know, Deshaun got 12 jobs as well and is always doing something. <laughs> um, no shade. <laughs> What's that like? Tell us about it. That is also the doing of, of cops. <laughs> Period. I'm tired of it. <laughs> but no, <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's exhausting work, but it's important work. And therefore, it feels good mm-hmm. most days. Most days. Now, some days, you know, you know, I'll be like, girl, let me go ahead and lay down real quick. But mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's good work and, and I appreciate it. But so right now and while we're recording this, I know this is going to be next week. But while we're recording this, we're in the middle of our week of action. 
So um, you can find updates on this next week on pages like Defend the Forest on Twitter and Stop Cop City on Instagram. Um, but there are also a host of us who are outside at a bunch of different events right now doing coverage ourselves on our account. So look up the hashtag Stop Cop City along with Torchigita, who was the queer Venezuelan indigenous activist who was murdered by police here. 57 shots right, while sitting on the ground in the forest with their hands in the air. So right now, their mom is also outside protesting in defense of their child's life, right, that was lost in the building or the, the fight to build Cop City. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening online in that regard. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and anywhere else on on socials under Deshaun LH. And in my bio there are like is my link tree, which has everything else. That you can find all the things. <laughs> all of the things. All of the things. Also, shout out to Scalawag magazine. Shout out to motherfucking Scalawag. Y'all have been doing some great, like, I think, like, coverage. Like, just, like, reporting and coverage of of this issue from a, you know, unapologetically black abolitionist standpoint. Um, and so shout out to y'all there as well. Thank you. <laughs> You know, I love Scalawag. We appreciate you being here. We want to hear what y'all have to say about this. Hop into our social media using Fanti Podcast. You can hit Fanti Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and the TikTok machine. Let us know what y'all think. Use the hashtag FantiFam, uh, and we'll jump into the conversation with y'all. When we come back, we're getting into why y'all hate us so much and listener feedback and dishonorable mentions. Don't go anywhere. What is up, people of the world? Do you have an argument that you keep having with your friends and you just can't seem to settle it? And you're sitting there arguing about whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars, or you can't decide what is the best nut, or can't agree on what is the best cheese. Stop doing that. Listen to We Got This with Mark and Hal, only on Max Fun. Your topics asked and answered objectively, definitively, for all time. So don't worry, everybody. We, we got, got this. this. We got this. Welcome back, beautiful people. Now we're going to get into your listener letters for our listener feedback segment. We've got an email here from Erica. This is an email about uh, connected to our discussion about success that we've been, you know, having for a few weeks now on the show. Erica says, here's my addition to the conversation on measuring success. As a high school senior, success was graduating with a GPA that would allow me access to a college education outside of my hometown of Memphis with as little debt as possible. Possible. Check. Once I got into Spelman, hey, her A, not my A, success had a much stronger connection to money. After many years of struggling with imposter syndrome, envy, and outright depression, I've arrived at my early 40s and a new definition of success, colon, the ability to spend every day of my life doing only what I am good at and enjoy doing. Sometimes that means money, for sure, but it also means recognizing that just because a thing has to be done doesn't mean that I have to be the one to do it. Is there someone who does this better than me? Someone who loves to do this even if they don't get it done any faster than I would? Past that. I have managed to outsource grocery shopping, HelloFresh, laundry, check out the Poplin oh. app, and whenever I travel, I outsource deep cleaning my home. I am so glad to be part of a generation of black women who are taking 
taking off our capes and absolving ourselves of the need to carry everyone and do everything because, quote unquote, we're supposed to. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. I am no longer investing my energy in tasks that don't energize and excite me. That's it. Finally, many thanks again for all you do to bring us this podcast every week. I'm always looking for channels that will plug me into the information that will make me a more culturally responsive educator for the children and young adults that learn from me. And your podcast is one of a few that have helped me on my journey to learn more about the experience of my gay, trans, and non-binary learners. All right. We love that. I I will say that... Um, we just read uh, recently, we read a review that was from Apple Podcasts, and one of them was somebody that was really mad about the success episode. They did not enjoy it. They thought it was like, they were mad at us for, for talking about success. So this is in contrast to that. Oh. And also, I'm checking out this Poplin app because I hate laundry. Same. So uh, thank you for that. But I, I appreciate the ways that you've been able to kind of like track where that has adjusted for you, right? Your measures of success. Um, and the ways that you are thinking about that now. So shout out to you, Erica. We love that. Absolutely. It is now time for our dishonorable mentions. These are the stories of people that caught our attention this week that deserve a call out either for their good or for their stupid. You want me to get started? Yes, please. All right. There is a an Instagram reel. These are these are a couple of different like things that have been sent to me by friends over the past couple of weeks. And there's a an Instagram reel or TikTok video where there is a guy who's talking about what you do if you have a gap in your resume and you you are like going into a job interview. Take a listen to this. <laughs> Take a listen. I know exactly which clip you're talking about. If anyone's like, can you explain this gap in your resume? You know what you have to say, right? To say, no, I cannot. I signed an MDA. <laughs> Listen, this system Career was, advice. The system was never built for us, so stop working for it, okay? Lie. I don't know what else to tell you. So this was brilliant. I thought, like, telling them you signed an NDA, like, I never would have thought of that. And like as many NDAs as I've signed, like. Why not, girl? Right. <laughs> but what I really loved in this was like, he says, the system was never designed for us to stop working. Mm. And I was like, oh, damn. Right. As we talk about success, as we talk about capitalism on the show, we talk about all the various different things. But like the idea that people have gaps in their resume as being a detriment to their possibilities of getting other jobs or slowing them down from other opportunities. Wording it that way was just so perfect to me. The system was never designed for us to stop working. I was like, oh, I, I have to share this. Another piece of video that was shared with me from TikTok was a man talking about non-monogamy and polyamory and like how that shows up in their lives. And I've talked here before about being a non-monogamous polyamorous person. I am identifying more as polyamorous now than non-monogamous, not because of anything that has changed about what I want so much as I don't want to continue to um, center monogamy as and call myself non-monogamous. Um, but in this conversation, he is talking about why he feels this way. Take a listen. Non-monogamy doesn't mean like, I'm just trying to be a whole around all the time. Okay. What it means is the, the idea is always open to explore, no matter if I have a partner or not. So right. if I have a partner and we want to be monogamous for a while, that's cool. But for me, non-monogamy is just that open conversation of like, hey, I felt attracted to this person, would like to explore that. How do you feel about it? Is she able to come to you? Yeah. What the same? Absolutely. So you're, how do you keep from jealousy, insecurity? You don't keep from it. You you go through you it. But it. you you go oh. through it together. I'd rather work through jealousy than work through dishonesty. 
Baby, this clip in here, when he this moment where he says, I'd rather work through jealousy than work through dishonesty. The way it stopped the whole room in the, on the podcast that he's on, it, it stopped me too. I was like, that is a perfect way to think about the ways that that we are having conversations in our relationships about the things that we want, about who we are, about how we show up. And I'm not saying that because I think everybody needs to be non-monogamous or polyamorous or, and I'm not saying that everybody needs to be having those conversations, but like that resonated with me in such a way, because I'm like, I would much rather have conversations with you about how you're feeling, about why you're feeling it, how we can work through it. than you did what? Right. You broke what promise you you just you betrayed my trust. How? Right. You went against whatever rules we have set up for this relationship to work. I'd rather work through jealousy than through dishonesty. Just really hit for me. What were you going to say, Trevor? Well, I was I was going to say that I, I don't think you were saying you were trying to make you were um, making clarifications about what you were and what you're not saying. And I was just going to add that I think you're also not saying that monogamy autom- automatically means dishonesty as well sure well yes because like in in the clip he talks more about that and so that's a a great point i want to give a shout out to never thought i'd be shouting out snoop dog here but there's a new uh album from snoop dog called doggy land kids hits i'm really excited about this only because there's a tiktok video of a little girl who is like freestyling to the song there's a song called affirmation song if you have kids you can look out for the doggy land kid hits there's two different like albums a volume one and a volume two and one is like the alphabet one is about cleaning up one is about all these different things and it's like snoop dog but like the affirmation song there's a, a video of this young girl named i believe her name is van and she is like she's like dancing and like she's doing it she's the cutest little black girl with this this vibe and she's like spinning bars it's fantastic if you have kids or you just like kids programming go check out doggy land kid hits um wherever you get your slay worthy audio finally we talked about the schomburg here uh before and the schomburg if you're not familiar with it is a fantastic archive of of uh, of black history in new york city um in harlem and i was just there and i got to tour um their their current exhibit with the help of author stephen fullwood and the the exhibit is called marking time the arts in the age of incarceration and like i just was so moved by what i saw i was only able to be there for an hour and i was like i gotta come back and like be able to see more of it it is in the schomburg through december 4th if you're in the area or you're going to be visiting um, new york they describe it as marking time explores the impact of the u.s prison system on contemporary visual art and so there are various different pieces that are made by folks who are incarcerated or by the, their families or the ways that, or the various different people who have been impacted by incarceration. And it is an extraordinary uh, exhibit. So go check that out if you're in New York City. Um, again, it is there through December 4th. So go check it out. And that's all for me. I just have one honorable mention this week. Um, we are in, you know, Emmy season. And Emmy season for me is about the, you know, roundtable discussions that all of the trade publications and the LA Mm. Times do around these, these different categories. And I think I've said on the show before that, you know, I often, you know, will watch an interview on the YouTubes because I less so for the the celebrity or whatever that's being interviewed, but like you know, I'm I'm looking at the the interviewer. Many of these folks who are not 
journalists in, for many of these interview-based shows. Um, check out our Breakfast Club episode, for example, if you would like more on that. But I wanted to shout out in particular uh, the Hollywood Reporters Roundtables, as well as the LA Times's um, The Envelope Roundtables. And I want to shout out the, the the folks who are in the the moderator seat for those because it's such a hard job to have seven top tier actors or directors or producers or whomever at a table and seamlessly weave through their different projects to know all of the information that you have to know about the project that they're representing this year but also their history and you know I don't I don't you know I don't give too many kudos to white women or white people on this here show. However, Lacey Rose in particular at the Hollywood Reporter is masterful at it. Masterful. I be watching her round tables and, you know, some Cheryl Lee Ralph will give some sort of inspiring um, moment and then Lacey Rose will pick up on a very small thing that Cheryl Lee Ralph has said and spin it into another question for somebody else. And I'm like, ooh, the talent. Ooh, the skill set. I'm like, ooh, yes, girl, you did that. And so I just wanted to, you know, encourage you all to check out, you know, those round table discussions because I just think they, many of them are done very well, largely due to the, the person who's in that moderator seat. Um, so shout out to Lacey Rose in particular. Also shout out to Lorraine Ali, who does them, um, who has done some of them for the LA Times, Yvonne Villarreal as well, Amy Kaufman over at the LA Times as well. All former fabulous colleagues of mine, but Lacey Rose in particular, I said, girl, I see you. And so that's my only honorable mention. We should send that to her because, like, she'll be one of the few white women who can say <laughs> that she has a Travell right. Anderson honorable mention. she add that to her resume, right? Exactly. <laughs> now it is time for Black History is Happening Every Day. This week um we are going with a name that i have mentioned on this show before largely for the uh there's a documentary about this person that came out a few years ago um but we're talking about Polly murray who was an american civil rights activist legal scholar and theorist who were whose work influenced the civil rights movement expanded the legal protection for gender in any for gender equality Polly murray's effort single-handedly right, have led to so many pivotal moments in the fight for civil rights, broadly speaking, not just, you know, black civil rights, but also for, you know, for women, for LGBTQ people. Um, their work has been highlighted by powerful figures, including Thurgood Nim, as well as JFK, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, etc. Powerful wasn't my word to be specific, but like, you know, they all had impact. Um, and then Murray passed away from pancreatic cancer in 19. 1985 and 2015, the National Trust for Historic Preservation designated their childhood home, which is in uh, Durham, North Carolina, as a national treasure. And if you've been listening to We See Each Other, the podcast, episode six, which is entitled Let's Hear It for the Boys, during our past the popcorn, excuse me, during our past the mic segment, um, a member from the Unique Women's Coalition, where we did some interviews for the podcast, gave a brief history lesson on Polly Murray. 
Murray as well. Polly Murray also is someone who we recognize and identify today as a potential trans or gender expansive ancestor, um, though obviously back then they did not necessarily have the language that we have today. But if you check out the documentary on the Amazon Prime called My Name is Polly Murray, they delve into a little bit of Polly's gender journey and experience and how it tethered, how it's uh, uh, related to a lot of the pivotal work that they did for all of us. Um, I don't care how you identify today. So shout out to Polly Murray. Check out uh, their work. They also wrote a, a few different books that you can check out. One of them is on my bookshelf whose name slips my mind right now. But shout out to Polly Murray. While we are shouting out episode six of We See Each Other, the podcast, we have uh, gone through all of the episodes. They are all out now. The limited series podcast, We See Each Other, the podcast. Make sure to go check it out and go buy the book. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to make sure that you go buy We See Each Other, A Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film. Travel's book is available wherever you get your books. Um, go check that out. And while you're thinking about books, you can go pre-order our book, which is coming out very soon. Um, uh, September 19th, Historically Black Phrases, which is now here up on the wall. Um, we've got like our physical copies of it now, and it's really, really beautiful. I'm like, even more than I expected it to be, and we designed it. <laughs> but like, he about to get emotional all over again, y'all. Fine. Okay. <laughs> I'm fine. No, I've been like showing it in every Ooh. Zoom meeting that I've been in. Like, oh my God, look, guys, my book is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so go to historicallyblackphrases.com to pre order the book right now. We thank y'all so much for listening. If you are checking us out on YouTube and this is your first time ever seeing us, you know, hit up fantipodcast.com. We've got three seasons of episodes that are all pretty fantastic and award winning, if I just say so myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantipodcast.com is where you can go check out all of the past episodes. If you have a comment or suggestions about this week's show, we're at fantipodcast on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Use the hashtag fantipfam, or you can leave us a comment over on the podcasting app that you uh, listen to the show on. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Um, even if you hate the success episode, thinking it was tone deaf. Um, whatever it is, hit us up there. You can email us as well, fanti at maximumfun.org. But what, you, what did you want to say? What? Say it, girl. Nothing. Because I, I have not seen this 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 comment that you mentioned, but the fact that they think it's they think it's tone deaf, I want to tell them that maybe you on you on maybe you on the wrong dial. Oh. Okay, if you think it's tone deaf, maybe you maybe you on the AM when you need to be on the FM or you on the FM when you need to be on the AM or something like that. Anyway, keep going. I don't know what that means, but we'll take it. Um, hit us up in our email, fantiamaximumfun.org. Let Travel know which uh, dial you're listening to us on because we're apparently on the radio too now. <laughs> Cut it out. Okay, if you'd like to join the Maximum Fun family and help us create this fabulous show, shout out to all of the Fantai fam, the financially contributing members of the Fantai fam. You can do that at MaximumFun.org slash join. Just to let y'all know, we haven't forgot about the whole swimming situation. I was just about to say. It's actually happening. Stay tuned. It's actually happening. So stay tuned. Our music, as always, is brought to you by Corice, C-O-R dot E-C-E. Make sure you are supporting that Grammy Award winner, okay? Where Ever you get wonderful music. Our graphics are by Ashley Wynn and the folks over at Moonhouse Creative. Our editor is Anne Marie Huber. Our producer is Palmira Muni. That was good. Oh, that was better. Yeah. And our singer producer is Laura Swisher. This is a production of Maximum Fun.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. We don't have to discuss it because I already know what it's about and I'll rip your head off later. (laughs) Ha ha ha!